Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to do something a little different today, and I'll let you know in about ah, three minutes what that is. But my scripture this morning is 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, and it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Oh, Lord, we are in awe of your provisions, incredible provisions for us. Everything that you have given us as your children, uh, first through the cross for all eternity, and, and just for the daily ways that you protect us and guide us through our sanctification, uh, Lord, as you're getting us ready to live with you, we ask that you give us an abiding love for one another, knit our hearts together, Lord, in brotherly love and kindness. You are our prophet, priest, and king, and we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said today, something a little bit different. My topic is Gnosticism. Now, you might be thinking, do I really need to know about this, and why do I need to know about this? Well, I'm going to give you several reasons why it's important. And I am confident by the time this podcast is over, you will be able to spot Gnosticism in religion, politics, media, including films, and every way that it manifests itself in a world system that vexes us daily. And it is, Gnosticism is the world system that is all around us. Now, the first reason is a freebie, and that is it's the first cult ever. It is also the root and branch of every cult and every false way in history. It's been hiding in plain sight through all epochs of the world. Now, I might crunch a few toes today. That is never my intention, but I am one of those people who believes there are no sacred cows in the church outside of the Bible and sound doctrine or any ideology that we might encounter. And when you clear those away after thinking and reasoning, my take is that you will end up with the truth if it's held up in the light of the scripture. But don't take my word for it. Do your own research. That said, let's dive in. I'm going to repeat Second Corinthians 10.5 because it is a very important verse for today. And that is casting down or demolishing arguments, reasoning, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every high thing. A little background on this subject. I spent about a year thinking about it, and it didn't leave me alone. And I, I only had a cursory understanding of Gnosticism, but I knew one thing, that it was a huge subject. It deserved to be exposed. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people have uh, done a lot of studying on it. I'm sure there are some out there. Um some choose to only treat the symptoms of heresy, which are manifold as it is. Symptoms of this heresy are cults. But this cult is systemic in the culture. It's secular. It's religious. It's political. It's all there. Now, what commandeered my freight train on this was, it occurred to me that if Paul, John, and Jude thought it was enough of a threat to combat it without outright naming it, I knew that it was important. I knew that they and the next generation were vexed by it. I knew if it had a name, I could, you know, I could research it uh, with all the resources that I and we all have at hand. But after oh, 40 years of studying apologetics, I also know that no genuine deception ever actually disappears from the scene. So whatever it is that was called doctrines of demons, vain philosophies, knowledge so-called by the early church, I was compelled to know. I had to know. 
And I thought, this goes beyond just general warnings for all generations. I knew that. There's something specific in view as well, and there is. And I almost threw in the towel more than once as I studied this, but I, I just I just couldn't do that. Um, it's it's uh, a little complicated, and it's 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 huge. And what I found genuinely surprised me, and it might surprise you as well. So I truly hope that this is enlightening for you as the listener, and I hope you find my time investment worthy of your time. So what is Gnosticism? And just as importantly, why did it vex the early church so much? And I'm going to present the premise that Gnosticism was incarnated into this world from the garden, that Satan has used it to steal, kill, and destroy um, uh, part of the very first lie told to the very first people. And it has found a dwelling place as a counterfeit of Christianity. Now, it's hard to staple down because it's not an organized church. Okay, that'd be easy to identify. But it's an intellectual movement uh, that can infect any church, any secular movement, anywhere, anytime, to any degree, and many subtle ways. And it makes it a moving target. It's probably why few apologists address it to any real extent. And that's really why I almost gave up. Uh, but there are many symptoms listed of it in the New Testament, which tells me that since the New Testament authors wrote about it, they knew exactly what it was or is, and so should we. Gnosticism took and continues to take a lot of different forms since Plato. Plato's writings are Gnosticism through and through. So while I can't possibly connect every single dot for you in this medium, uh, my hope is that you at least get the big picture, and that's my goal this morning. I'm going to suggest it is the biggest heresy ever. We deal with it on so many levels. Again, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. So, as I said, it's not a church. It's not a denomination. It's an ancient philosophy. The word philosophy means love of wisdom. Sophia. Philosophia. Sophia means wisdom. And it's a vain love of wisdom. It's not even merely a pagan, illiterate, medieval, easily dismissed doctrine that, you know, uh, in the West here we might pass off as ignorant superstition. Um, recall that in Genesis, the first uh, two humans were dealing with a very cunning or sly, crafty serpent. And craftiness there, I think, is probably on a level we don't completely understand. And it ruined mankind and paved the way for our redemption. And it's that redemption, the enemy's sore spot, as he competes uh, with the Most High for the souls of men. And this goes on every moment. Gnosticism purports to explain the material world, the spiritual world, salvation, the nature of God and revelation, creation, good and evil. And I'm going to suggest that, again, it is the framework for the world system that Satan oversees and that we interact with every single waking moment. Gnosticism uh, derives from the word gnosis, and that's the Greek word for knowledge. Now, that's easy enough, so let's just go through that door. Back in the garden, the devil disguised himself. All right, Genesis 3.1. The Bible clearly teaches he is able to transform himself, 2 Corinthians 11.4. He is a cunning imitator, not an originator, a master counterfeiter of everything that God has declared to be good, and that's who our enemy is. Now, this is how he deceived Eve, by corrupting her mind, okay, her perceptions and her thoughts, 2 Corinthians 11.3, and every human to follow. So, okay, so her mind was corrupted, and it caused her to take from God's word and alter it. And that tree, well, a tree of knowledge, that's gnosis in the Greek, 
knowledge of good and evil, experiential knowledge of what is both good and what is morally corrupt and evil and dark, which we observe every day in our lives, and we would not had she not done that. But we know what is morally corrupt, what is evil, and what is dark. Uh, Humans became morally aware of good and evil and every nuance of it between, uh, in between at the fall. And we have the free will to accept or reject any or all of it. I think we all know that free will is the default position of human beings. But get this, before the fall, only God knew these things. So they tapped into the things of God, becoming like God in this, all right, knowing good and evil and everything in between. So naturally, the tree of life had to go uh, because humans, and I praise God for this, cannot be allowed to live forever in a fallen state. There is no hope for mankind if that is our state, unless, unless God sends a Savior to take our punishment for rebellion and defeat death through the resurrection. Uh, The death blow to the enemy, for sure. And we're going to find out that is one of the number one things that Gnosticism denies is the resurrection. Of course. So that word knowledge first appears in Scripture in Genesis 2.9. Again, it's the Hebrew word da'ath, the equivalent of the, the Greek word gnosis. Now, there are two kinds of knowledge, and this is kind of important. There is propositional knowledge, and that's just the kind that we acquire somewhat indirectly through what other people say. And through acquired knowing, you know, I know that Wisconsin is in the United States. Okay, that is propositional knowledge. But then there's empirical knowledge, which is acquired by direct participation. I could say, I know Wisconsin winters because I've experienced them. And indeed, I do and I have. So propositional is just general knowing. Empirical is participation, participatory knowledge that you know that you know. The genosis of Gnosticism refers to door number two, empirical knowledge, and this is going to mean something. So, in a spiritual context, to be Gnostic is to rely not on knowledge in a general sense, but mystical or esoteric experiences, direct participation with the divine or spiritual realm. So, in Gnosticism, the salvation of the soul depends and happens through a secret knowledge only given to some people through acquaintance with mysticism. So if you're familiar with occultism or the New Age, you know exactly what I mean here. So instead of seeking the one true God for answers, Gnosticism teaches mankind to go within, ultimately to find your divinity within, uh, saved through uh, a special knowledge of the divine. That's salvation in Gnosticism. So this philosophical system then can be and has been infused into every religion, politics, or belief system seamlessly and deceptively. Even Judaism, through this uh, popularized Kabbalah system, which a lot of famous people um, participate in, um, spreads Gnosticism far and wide. The New Age spreads Gnosticism far and wide. Um, it's an obvious portal to Gnosticism. So let's just peek through a window for a minute. Let's just take the emergent church, for example. Uh, any, uh, there are no absolutes, American church can be deeply Gnostic. And I would guess no attendees would ever even suspect that. 
all you need is a half God said kind of narrative, you know, spend some time in contemplative monastic mumbo jumbo and hang on to a social justice gospel. And you, too, can be saved from this material world by Gnosticism. Some some of you uh, might attend a church that's already there. And if you're alarmed by that, you should be. Uh, absolutely. And you should get out of any such church that questions absolutes and has any kind of mystical connections. That is the portal to Gnosticism. If you're doing yoga or contemplative anything, um, it, you need to stop doing that because you're on a Gnostic train to nowhere. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to warn people about the emergent church for many years, but uh, more about Gnosticism all around us a little bit later. Bottom line so far, Gnosticism is the ultimate attack on God and Christianity, and it is as old as time. So here goes. Hang on to your hat a little bit. Um, Again, it comes from the Greek word gnosis. Now, an agnostic, agnostic is one who doesn't know if there is a God or not. So they call themselves an agnostic. A diagnosis, diagnosis means to set apart and know and differentiate one disease from another so we know what's wrong with us. Then there's also in the New Testament epigenosis that's used quite a bit. It's really worth, um, and that refers to the right and correct knowledge of God. Uh, it's a worthy Bible study actually to do uh, a word study on all of this in the New Testament. Now here's where things get a little strange or convoluted, so stay with me. And I'm going to take this slow. Gnosticism teaches a sharp dualism, believing, and this is important, that the spiritual realm is good, but matter is evil. The spirit is good, the body is evil. So, if the body is deemed to be evil and it hinders our righteousness, then it could be acceptable to deny any earthly or sensory pleasure to get closer to the divine. Those who practice the severe self-denial or discipline for spiritual perfection and ascension, now those are referred to as ascetics. On the other hand, a person could seek to be extremely licentious, believing that since the body doesn't matter and it's not important, anything done in life, no matter how hedonistic or evil, is okay because it doesn't matter. Matter doesn't matter. The body's beyond redemption, they say, and they're said to be sybaritic. I just call it hedonistic. So, if anything material is evil, where does Gnosticism stand in regards to Genesis and what God called good? Now, that's a good question. Hath God said, are we really to hate the sin and love the sinner? There's a material and physical duality. Very interesting. Worth thinking about. Here we go. And this is just the mythical origins. So just bear with me a minute because this, this does factor in. They have their own creation account. And so we have to start at the beginning with this Gnosticism. What is their creation account? You, and again, you might wonder why this might have value to know. Um, but it kind of leaves you wondering why anyone in the Western mindset would ever embrace it. But it really is a brilliant, cunning belief system for the unspiritual. And it's one where the snake actually wins. Isn't that what the enemy wants anyway? Remember, Satan is not an opposing equal power to God. He is a rebel against God. There is no opposing power except in Satan's thinking. Now, according to Gnosticism, the universe in its present state is not good, nor was it created by a good, benevolent God. Now, we should never say that we're in some sort of matrix where nothing is real because that goes against the biblical teaching that God made this material world and he said that it is good. It is real and it is good. So we are not in a matrix. And I hear, I hear believers play with that a little bit and it's probably meaningless, but on a technicality here, God said that it's good. This is real. Now, according to the Gnostic Gospel of Philip, which is out there, 
Creation came about as a mistake. Eons ago, there was a pre-cosmic disturbance from some being a substandard deity who turned God's good intentions into a world of hurt and death. Now, I recognize that signature, and you do too. And the myth goes like this. Bear with me. It's, it's bizarre. This substandard being who created the world is called the Demiurge. Uh, the Demiurge was the offspring of Sophia. Remember that? The goddess of wisdom who decided on her own to have a son, uh, a being that looked like a snake. Don't you love mythology? He was an arrogant, vile creature that terrified her, so she cast him out of heaven. Hmm, who else was cast out of heaven? And this poor cast-out demiurge then, being lonely, decided to create a material world to his liking. And so he created something called archons. That's something you'll hear about in sci-fi. And those were his very own angels to administer the world. They created humans, and they ruled them in a chaotic, brutal manner. They were the ones who ultimately were responsible for all of the evil thoughts and actions of humankind. This is just really twisted on its head, isn't it? This is where the New Age Jesus comes in. Uh, the Archons had created humans to be susceptible to their influence and to be almost unable to resist it. Because, now remember this, in Gnosticism, there is no free will. Tuck that in the back of your mind. And only a divine spark from heaven, which is what the New Age teaches, uh, which had been slipped into creation, um, despite the Archons' uh, protestations, gave people any kind of a chance to resist their temptations and realize their godhood. This is the weird beginnings and mythology of the entire New Age movement. So this is your Gnostic Jesus, the New Age Christ spirit, the spirit of Antichrist. So they teach that humans are just divine souls trapped in a material universe. No, this is not the Matrix. But only a few people, the Gnostics, were even aware of that divine presence within themselves. And so the story eventually morphed that the Gnostics described this creator as so proud, he bungled the creation against the instructions of a supreme God. And that's the point at which Gnostics believed that the material world was flawed or evil and everything uh, physical was produced by this evil sub-God. Um, in contrast, all spiritual things are considered good. So what they believe is no true, benevolent, omnipotent God would ever create a material world, one that much less that is fallen, because, you know, the gods are above all that, right? All right. This takes, up, takes us up to Genesis. So this snake God who just wants to play with Adam and Eve puts a tree of knowledge, knowing good and evil in their midst, wanting them to be autonomous, to see the truth and think for themselves. Boy, there's a deception. Remember, this is Gnosticism. And to see that the material world is just a fake, it means that their compassionate, quote-unquote, serpentine creator really only wants their destruction. Okay, there's a plot twist for you. Uh, so their creator, this demiurge, from time to time will get furious and try to wipe mankind out. It's not God who's judging. It's this, it's this God. Um, and so after, after generations of rules and punishment and destruction... The Archons send Jesus to pave a new path for humans, one of peace, acceptance, bringer of hidden knowledge, pitting this Old Testament bumbling, warlike, judgmental God against the New Testament God, wait for it here, who suspended violence and vengeance in favor of the knowledge or gnosis of the kingdom. This is the one where social justice reigns and everyone's enlightened 
They like that New Testament God, but not that violent, mean Old Testament God. Does that sound a little familiar? He gets us. Yeah, Satan gets us. That campaign is complete Gnosticism through and through from beginning to end. So now you're trying, starting to get a feel for how this is just woven into everything we see in here. So, of course, this Gnostic Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible, in case I need to reinforce that. Uh, but the devil, I mean, of course, all he wants is for humans to continue to choose sin because they can. Free will, it's in the scriptures from front to back. There's no such teaching in the Bible that mankind ever lost free will at the fall or that our will is in bondage to this day. There is nothing to support that. So here is where every cult gets its dogma. This Gnostic Jesus, the one I just talked to you about, was not fully human since their God could never have anything to do with matter. Jesus only seemed to have a body. His suffering was an illusion. He was pure spirit. Gnosticism teaches that when the dove descended on him in Matthew 3, he began to fulfill his mission to make mankind understand that they really, too, were gods. Uh, The spirit was withdrawn, they believe, on the cross, so there was no substitutionary atonement, no incarnation. He cannot be God and a material man. Material is evil, remember? So the crucifixion, that wasn't really him. He could never have resurrected. And this completely overturns the gospel. This is the polar opposite of what we are to believe as believers. So the door to understanding real biblical truth via the system called Gnosticism now has been completely slammed shut here. Every single cult today is the offspring of Gnosticism. Gnostic salvation then is simply having a sufficient amount of divine knowledge or gnosis, secret knowledge that Jesus came to give us, which will free the human soul from this life. Salvation is the knowledge by which man escapes the material world. Man's real problem then is um, creation and his own body. It's not sin. There's no sin in Gnosticism. The fall of mankind was simply from spirit into the material world. So self-redemption becomes the goal. Now what? Well, switching gears completely, we're going to go many centuries ahead, and I'm going to start to knit all this together. That was all foundational. And... I think some lights are going to go on. I know they did for me. What is an apostle? Well, an apostle is the one who is an eyewitness to the works of Jesus and an eyewitness to the resurrection. Acts 1, 21 and 22. Acts 10, 38 to 41. You may not know. Well, you may know now after listening to what Gnosticism is, how important these passages are, this requirement. If you are a first church father in the fight against Gnosticism, that is alluded to in dozens of New Testament verses. If the resurrection was not witnessed to, and this account cannot be passed down as truth, then Gnosticism with its snake god wins the day. If, you know, this is an all-out war, as I said at the beginning, and you're going to find out just how universal this war is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Remember what I opened up with this morning. So, I say we can know that elements of Gnosticism existed before Christianity, especially through Plato and other philosophers. But what was it about the earliest days of Christianity that alarmed the New Testament writers so? The founder of Christian, quote-unquote, Gnosticism was Valentinus, and he was a so-called theologian. He wanted to be the bishop of Rome. He wanted uh, and to claim some authority from the first apostles. He wanted... Uh, to bid for credibility, without which his heresy would be completely 
rejected. And this is why, once the apostles had gone home to be with the Lord, heresies could take root much more easily. Now just think about all those people who claim to be apostles today in light of all that. Well, it wasn't long before the second century Gnostics had written their own works. Their teachings spread like wildfire to the point that their writings would be alluded to within the letters which would become our New Testament. In this way, especially the epistles really are also historical accounts of the earliest days of the church. And as Gnostic writings spread far and wide, a post-apostolic Orthodox Christian leaders began a first-ever apologetic-style ministry <laughs> written works to counter this ever-growing influence. As you can see, hierarchy of church leadership in those days, generational succession of those who knew Jesus, became the standard by which to judge a man's fitness to rule the early church, which led to establishing the canon of Scripture. If these men had not taken on Gnosticism instead of ignoring it or incorporating it, we would not have our current Bible. And if people who have the Bible would actually adhere to it and teach it, we wouldn't have our current apostasies. And so goes the world and the church. Now, just a little bit uh, before we take a break here, um, early Gnostic cults. And this is, this is interesting, too, because at the close of the B.C. era, a group that opposed the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they secluded themselves in Qumran to produce copies of the scriptures and preserve them in that desert-dry climate. There was also another group, the Egyptian Essenes, who were very different in what they believed. They denied that a body could be resurrected and mixed paganism with Judaism. They believed in reincarnation, evolution, predestination, meaning only some of humanity had a divine spark, uh, that they would someday be liberated from. Josephus tells us they had their own special mysticism, and it's really uh, only what we would consider Eastern mysticism today. Church history tells us that out of this two groups, um, uh, the ones in Qumran and the Essenes, came Simon the Sorcerer, and considered by early church scholars as the father of the Gnostic cults that have crept into Christianity. Because when he was in Egypt, he adopted their views on becoming a god himself. So by the time we catch up with Simon in Acts 8, he has fully, unrepentantly embraced sorcery, the type of which would give him what he hoped would be the power of God for his own ends and means. So the apostles were the first then to oppose Gnostic sorcery in all its incarnations, and it started right there. And so you can think right there, doctrines of demons. Here's another hero of the faith, Irenaeus of Lyon, and he lived in 130 to 200 AD. He was a disciple of Polycarp, uh, who was the bishop of Smyrna, who was a disciple of John. He was the one who really took up the ministry of denouncing Gnosticism. He was very influential in keeping it at bay. He became part of a church in France during a time of severe persecution. Uh, he was well aware of not only the courage of the believers there, but but these believers sent him to Rome with letters appealing for help in fighting Gnosticism in the young church. He ended up writing several key books to refute it. Ah, there's your first apologetics books of all time. One was called Against Heresies, 180 AD, and that it stood fast for the purity of the doctrine as set forth by the apostles. Again, probably the first apologetics or the first apologist for the early church. And I'm not going to get bogged down here on what all various sects and what they believed before I make my case for rampant Gnosticism that we fight today. We're going to bring it up to date after the break here. Um, 
And then I'm going to mention a couple of key trains of thought that you will recognize. Um, it's a great place to take a break here. My name is Mary Danielson. This is Stand Up for the Truth. It is February the 16th. The month is half over. Talking about Gnosticism this morning. I laid a lot of groundwork at the beginning. And um, when we come back, I want to bring it home and tell you exactly what we're looking at in our day and how important it is to fight it in the times that we live in. So I hope you stay with me. We'll be back in two minutes. Again, Mary Danielson, and this is Stand Up for the Truth. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for February the 16th. It is Friday. For a minute there, I thought it was Thursday, but it's definitely Friday. Time is flying by. Again, like I opened with, doing something a little different today. I'm talking about Gnosticism and I set a lot of groundwork at the beginning. And now we're going to... We're going to find out exactly what that means for us here in 2024. And my verse again, I'm going to read it. This is a really key verse for this subject. It's 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And you might wonder, what does the second half have to do with the first half? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Now, the early church battled... Two main streams of Gnosticism. There's Valentinian and Basilidean Gnostic thought. You don't have to remember that, but I'm going to tell you what they are. Basilides taught that mankind can be sinless and live a sinless life. Once a person or child is baptized, a believer can be purged of those pesky unintentional sins through penance and purgatory and designated um, the severity of the sin so sacramental salvation started there, and he was a Gnostic. Valentinus thought that if our spirit, um, that our spirit can be saved if we are one of the chosen, basically born saved, that some are, and this is where a little toe crunching might go on, some are predestined to salvation and others to hell. Only those spirits who descend from Sophia are predestined to salvation and do not need any good works because the deal is sealed. Now here's where I want you to do your own homework. This is where it gets very interesting. Along comes Augustine. He spent his formative years in a Gnostic cult. Now, after he converted to Christianity, he began to debate those who didn't believe in free will, who said we could be born saved and therefore technically sinless. And he won his debates by teaching something called total depravity and unconditional election. Nothing Augustine concluded went against this Gnostic worldview. He was arguing with Gnostics after he got saved. And he believed the body was unredeemable anyway, so it didn't matter what you did in the flesh. This is what he believed. And so everyone was happy for the present. And here we have this marriage of Gnosticism and, I don't know, Christianity or, uh, yeah. Well, you know where I'm going with that. There were no such things as Protestants in the first century of church history. There were only believers and unbelievers. There was only sound doctrine, and there was only heresy. In my mind, that may be simplistic, considering the centuries of church history that followed, but in my mind, that is still true. There's only true believers and non-believers. So, it appears to me, through all the reading that I did, that Augustine is the one individual, the most pre-Reformation revered church father of all time, and considered the last great theologian of all time who opened the door for extensive Gnostic influence in the church. He is claimed as a Roman Catholic saint. Okay, 
Calvin and Luther both claimed that Augustine was the foundation for the Reformation. Luther was an Augustinian monk. And you can look that up. I think that's enlightening. Calvin refers to Augustine over 200 times in his writings, Luther over 40. And I'll maintain that Augustine is the pivot point in church history that brings Gnosticism back into the church through the denial of free will. Gnosticism, above all, denies that man has free will. When I set out to study this, I did not see that coming, okay? And, you know, by this time, somebody out there is probably offended, Catholic, Lutheran, Calvinist, and I have no dog in that race, and I can't say that often enough. I have no sacred cows. But here's my challenge. From time to time, it might be of value to ask ourselves, is what we think we know about denominations and destinies and originations true? Again, you have to look at it for yourself, because... How many denominations out there put man's wisdom before scripture? Ding, ding, ding. Tradition before scripture? That's Gnosticism. I could go on about all the Gnostic cults that were in existence at the time of the writing of the New Testament. I don't think that's helpful. But with a certain understanding of Gnosticism's main tenets, various Bible verses will now kind of pop off the page when you read the epistles. So these are hallmarks of Gnosticism. Okay, before I read a few verses here, here are the hallmarks. Number one, it doesn't matter what's done in the body because the body's not redeemable. So there's your licentiousness. Do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Number two, following dietary laws and other rules of self-denial make you superior as a Gnostic. Number three, experience over truth. Oh my goodness. How many churches... Let Gnosticism right in the front door with experience over truth. Number five. Uh, no, this is number four. Jesus did not come in the flesh. He did not resurrect. He was not fully God and fully man. That's a big one. And these are all things that Paul and John and Jude had to contend with. And here are a few, uh, just a few pertinent anti-Gnostic verses. Just a very, very few. First Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. First Timothy 6.20-21, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us may receive what is due for things done while in the body, whether good or bad. James 4.17, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is done in the body. Colossians 2.8, Classic, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. 1 John 4, 2 and 3, this is important too. Know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not from God. This is the Spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard it should come and even now is already in the world. Wow. That is the Spirit of Antichrist. Second, uh, First Corinthians 2, 6, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. Oh, and this is, this is key as well. Uh, Colossians 2, if, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch. 
referring to things that perish according to human precepts and teaching. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Remember the ascetics? And severity to the body, but there's no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, First John 2, who is a liar, but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son, which is Gnosticism through and through. And finally, Paul's beautifully constructed Gnostic antidote, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some are a view that there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. If he's not risen, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we are false witnesses of God, because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be if it so be that the dead rise not. If the dead rise not, Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are men most miserable. We're Gnostics. So much more to be said, so many verses to lay out, but I'm guessing that even with this much, you might find that you read some of these warnings against heresy, maybe from a slightly different perspective now. So, last but not least, as I wind this up, I have to include the manifestation of Gnosticism in the modern world. When I Remember when I opened up, I said, this is not some medieval... A dead and dusty cult out there. This is the world system. This is what Satan had in mind from the beginning. Uh, we just gave it a name. You all know about that, but we call it Gnosticism. And there are a multitude of Gnostic threads we could pull on right here in 2024. The media and film industry are the primary mouthpieces for Gnosticism. Science fiction is full of, of, uh, this new new age hidden knowledge, uh, the media has been and is complicit in every way, every single day. I'm going to give you just the top three Gnostic films that I know that you have heard of. Number one, the granddaddy of all Gnostic films, The Matrix, in which the material world is not real. Hidden knowledge creates and reveals the one of the universe, the Messiah of the age. His name is Neo, as in Neo-Gnosticism. That's exactly where this um, where this particular film comes from. Number two, The Wizard of Oz. Witches, crystal balls, and a very lame wizard who is no help at all, but he represents the powerless, the unenlightened god of 20th century denominationalism. And then a witch tells Dorothy that she had the power inside her all along to get back to Kansas. Toto too. <laughs> Little Gnostic dog. Okay, and this one. The Truman Show. Wow. The material world is an illusion, and the all-wise woman who helps Truman escape the world that he is tied to, the world that he's been tricked into believing is reality, her name is Sophie. Yeah, it doesn't get any closer to the bone than that. Add on here any films that, all right, depict technology interacting with the human mind, using avatars to replace the body, any programs about the singularity in which a human uploads technology to replace their brain so they can ascend to a higher plane and live forever? Gnosticism. It does away with the material body to become an ascended human. Any film about a New Age Christ, etc., etc., all occultism, a superhero universe? Oh, yeah. 
Now, throw in movements and religions that are pure Gnosticism because they deny the divinity of Jesus, the Trinity, the Atonement, or to teach that the natural world isn't what it seems. It's a long list. I'm barely going to touch the surface, but here we go. Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe Jesus was a spirit creature, not equal to God, did not have a bodily resurrection, just a spiritual one. There's no Trinity. Their calling card is half God said. Jehovah's Witnesses is Gnosticism through and through. Mormonism. Jesus was not God, but we will be. Joseph Smith and his angels and spirits that reveal hidden knowledge. Ooh. An esoteric book to explain the Bible? Book of Mormon is Gnosticism. God is an exalted man. Jesus is the brother of Satan. Oh, man. There's your mythology. Every human is a direct descendant of a heavenly father and mother. Sophia. Every human was reared in heavenly mansions before taking on a body. Jesus was the firstborn of this union, our spiritual brother. The atonement was insufficient. Mormonism, I guess I would give the award to the Gnostic cult of the day. Islam. Jesus is a created being, not God. A prophet of God who is subject to Allah, not God's son. Jesus, they believe Jesus did not die on the cross. His spirit was taken at the last moment. Oh, Muhammad was a successor to the apostles. Did Muhammad have access to early Gnostic writings? Oh, probably. Uh, it's a political movement disguised as a religion. The Gnostic one. Absolutely. Yoga. Yoga, detachment from the material world, become divine. There's no such thing as Christian yoga. It's yoga. It's Hinduism. Uh, yoga teaches the universe is not material. Uh, the material is the enemy of the spiritual. Altered states bring divinity. Classic Hinduism. All right. The word faith movement is Gnosticism through and through. It's a mix of Christianity, new thought, metaphysical cults, New Ageism, you shall be gods. They teach Jesus died spiritually and was born again in hell. There's a gentleman named D.R. McConnell in a different gospel, and he states their heresies very clearly. The word faith movement has a deistic view of God, who has to really dance to men's attempts to manipulate the spiritual laws of the universe. That's deism. Um... The word faith movement uh, has a demonic view of Christ who is filled with a satanic nature and must be born again in hell. Word faith movement is metaphysical, has a metaphysical view of salvation, which deifies man and spiritualizes the atonement, taking it from the cross and placing it in hell, thereby subverting the crucial biblical belief that it is Christ's physical death and shed blood which alone atone for sin. Now, all of these heresies I just mentioned combine metaphysical thought with traditional biblical doctrine and adopted by the likes of Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, many, many others. This is Gnosticism blowing through the church at a high rate of speed. Let's throw in the New Apostolic Reformation, Signs and Wonders Movement, Ladder Rain, Kansas City Prophets, all have elements of Gnosticism throughout. Next, Freemasonry, secret knowledge reserved only for a few. Salvation is ultimately by means of knowledge and not of Jesus. First degree of masonry emphasizes a separation from the material world to transcend material reality. I mean, if you're looking for a way to, to share with people about what these are, they're Gnosticism. They, and it's good to know what they believe, but you, you will come back to this from a biblical perspective. The Kabbalah, I mentioned this earlier, the religion of the hipster Hollywoodites. <laughs> 
It's Jewish mysticism. It's complete Gnosticism, extra-biblical revelation, esoteric practices, charts, graphs, secret symbolism. Same song, uh, 10th verse. Okay, here's one, Nazism. All right? It's a religion more than a political movement. Uh, it is philosophically Gnosticism throughout, okay? Uh, they taught that Germans were descended from a master race called Aryans, and their ancestor worship. Um, ideals led them to seek hidden documents in various nations that they invaded that contained occultic wisdom. And you all know Hitler uh, was an occultist. Um, the goal was to replace Christianity with their Gnostic church. And that alone is proof that Gnosticism can have very far-reaching political consequences for the whole world. It's bad enough it's in the church, but it's it's the religion of Satan. Okay. Ready? Liberalism. Lest you think this is a stretch, I'm going to direct you to the following article. I'm just going to mention a couple articles written by some very savvy folks at the American Thinker. These are older articles, but you will find them. Now, think this through with me. Considering today's liberal cult (laughs) that seeks to own, control, and kind of reinvent all manner of reality for the sake of a one-world ideology, because that's where it's going which is what the enemy wants, I, I really suggest you read and consider these. You may never, ever look at what's under the hood of the left the same again. Haven't we all said over and over again that this left-right war is spiritual? I think we've all known that deep down. This isn't two sides of the aisle. This is the battle for souls on so many levels. So the American Thinker has an article called Denying Reality, the Gnostic Left. I guess that's from 2014. And the other one from the American Thinker is the left's endgame of of Gnostic activism. I sure didn't see that coming. Until I studied this, I had no idea. Uh, Well, I did. I think, like I said, we all had an idea that this is a spiritual war that we're in. It has become one. It may not have always been that way uh, a generation ago, but it certainly has become that. We need to be wise about this. And another one, understanding the liberal mind. And this is a slam dunk if there ever was one. Founders of modern Gnosticism. Okay. Hegel, Marx, and Nietzsche can indeed be considered the founding fathers of all the Gnostic mass movements of the past century. Their ideas led to the Holocaust and multiculturalism. Their ideas led to the political decline spawned by communism, the moral decline caused by relativism, the Gnostic enterprises in recent history include Karl Marx and his attempt to create the social man, Friedrich Nietzsche and his attempt to create the superman, Hitler and his attempt to create the, um, the Aryan man, the New Age movement with its attempt to create the God man, and yes, modern liberalism with its attempt to create the softer, gentler, kinder, girly man. As well, we should not forget Hegel who thought he was the only man. Not to mention, oh boy, the leftist thought pattern that says that anyone of either gender can at any moment pretend to be the other gender or no gender just because they think it's so. The manipulation of reality is Gnosticism. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And those verses, to me at least, just pop off the page when I realize what's behind it all. So... (laughs) There's so much more. But do you see what the world system is now? Maybe a little bit better. You know, maybe the focus is a little bit better. And how 
we really need to be battling those that world system, spiritually speaking. Vast tentacles, um, what is it, First John 5.19, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And every high thing that exalts itself, bringing every thought into captivity. Now, I, I looked up just a little bit further uh, to kind of close this up here. An article, um, and this was on uh, Got Questions? What does it mean to take every thought captive? This is just really good. Again, Second Corinthians 10.5. It says, in speaking of our spiritual warfare, Paul says that we take every thought captive and subject all of our thinking to Christ Jesus. And here are the apostles' words. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The primary point of this section in Second Corinthians is that we are in a spiritual war. What leads up to the statement of taking every thought captive is important because Paul states that though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. So we don't rely on human ingenuity or man-made plans to bring the victory. The flesh is powerless against the wiles of the devil. In verse 4, Paul mentions strongholds, fortresses that are destroyed by God's power. These strongholds, strongholds are the philosophies, arguments, and proud opinions mentioned in verse 5. He goes on to say, without question, there are many human thoughts that need to be taken captive. Oh. Numerous ungodly philosophies hold people in bondage, and those spiritual fortresses need to be demolished. The systems of thought that war against us are, and it gives a couple different um, ways that different Bibles translations call them, uh, arrogant obstacles, lofty opinions, that's the ESV, sophisticated arguments that, and every exalted and proud thing, amplified version, that prevent people from knowing God. And that's huge here. In our day, these systems of human thought include the theory of evolution, secular humanism, existentialism, the cults, the occult, false religions, and of course, Gnosticism. How many people are held captive by the idea that they are products of chance in a godless universe? How many spiritual prisoners labor under the requirements of Allah and await freedom? We must take every cap thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And even as I was talking about earlier about free will and all that sort of thing, do we really know where that originated? Have we looked up where that originated? We presume it's a Reformation thing. Um, I encourage you to do your homework on that. Anyway, this article goes on to say, false religion and secular philosophy have created thinking that has imprisoned the minds of millions. It is a true spiritual battle. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Any idea, opinion, or worldview that asserts that Christ is unnecessary is reflective of the devil's pride. Such thoughts must be taken captive and made obedient to Christ, those who know the truth must confront error with the weapon we've been given, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And now you know how important it is to have that Word of God, to know it through and through, and to have whatever church you're going to, make sure, because the threat of sliding into Gnosticism in a church that doesn't teach God's Word and goes on experience and all the things that I mentioned is opening a portal to Gnosticism. Okay, this article goes on. Um, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God. As we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, um, 
We engage the battle against pretense and arrogant philosophy in the world. Trusting Christ and rightly dividing the word, we take every thought captive, pulling down these arguments, and by the grace of God, setting captives free. Isn't that the end game? Setting captives free by the power of the Holy Spirit, teaching, understanding God's word, understanding the enemy, because Satan gets us. (laughs) Yeah, those commercials. It's just Gnosticism straight through. So there it is. And I really, really genuinely hope that this helps you see it in all its forms in this world and that you will be able to put up a good fight and free the captives. I don't have time for this other article. There's a a really good article out there. I'll just mention it. Uh, It's called The World Economics Forum's Frankensteinization. Wow. Frankensteinization of the entire world. And it really is about Hollywood's predictive movies and all the movies that they put out, um, you know, that, that I think we've all seen them about pandemics, how many uh, pandemic movies are out there. Um, the WEF, which actually they call the Financial Military IT Media Pharma Complex. This global system is coalescing before our eyes. This uh, spirit of Antichrist, Gnosticism, is right there, and the rapture of the church, uh, I do believe, is next and very, very soon. Um, but t- Satan is is gathering uh, his forces for these end times. It's real, and we all know it is. And when next time you're vexed by the system of the world, remember, um, <laughs> this late, it's late, and you have to understand that it's late, and that gives you an awful lot of of uh, desire to free captives of this world system. Uh, the article talks about all the pandemic movies, many, many of them. There are probably at least 20 of them over the last uh, 40 years or so. Um, Davos just concluded, you know, uh, what's their uh, disease X? It's going to get darker, but God, but God, so hang on tight, expect turbulence. Praise the Lord. He has called us out of the kingdom of darkness. So we need to help others escape the kingdom of darkness, too. That's it for this particular podcast. I uh, also want to remind everybody that you can get a podcast digest um, every week, standupforthetruth.com. Click the link, uh, uh, subscribe link on the top menu bar, enter your name and address, and feedback, Stand Up For The Truth, comments at standupforthetruth.com. I would love to hear from you. And she does answer those I emails. Do. I would yep. love to hear from you. Even if you're angry with me. So, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Have a great weekend.